I hope you picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you were coming in, uh, because uh, today uh, I begin a new uh, sermon series that I've entitled Psalms of the Degrees, uh, Celebrating Triumph Over Trouble Through Trust in God. You know, as I uh, have walked with uh, God uh, over the years, uh, my love for the Psalms has just grown deeper and deeper. And I believe the reason being, uh, the Psalms are so real <laughs> uh, concerning our human frailties and uh, struggles. Uh, the Psalms often express uh, the believer's struggle with the propensity to sin when we encounter temptation, and also the tendency to fall into discouragement and unbelief uh, when we encounter adversity. Uh, often feelings are, are articulated in the Psalms that we all wrestle with, but rarely will say out loud in church. Emotions like fear, uh, depression, uh, disappointment, and even intense anger towards God when He fails to meet our expectations. Uh, because the Psalms are inspired by God does not mean that every emotion expressed by the writer is approved by God. Uh, the beauty of the Psalms is that they provide a place for us to go. A place to go to process our feelings, to inspect them in light of God's character and promises, and then bring those feelings in harmony with His will. The Psalms, in other words, provide a bridge that takes you from fear to faith, from failure to trust, from suffering and pain to joy. And when you think about it, although the literal cross was unknown to the authors of the Psalms, you clearly see the theology of the cross and also the theology of the resurrection in the Psalms. The Psalms take your pain and your perplexity and then uses them as a vehicle to lift up your soul in communion with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, now, for the Psalms that we will be covering in this series, Look at the introduction in your sermon notes. Look at the introduction in your sermon notes. And uh, because of our time constraints with the Lord's Supper, and there's one other thing that I want to do coming out of the Lord's Supper, uh, I'm going to stick very, very carefully uh, to this introduction uh, and not elaborate much, but as we go on into the series, we'll have an opportunity to expand uh, many of these points. But look at the introduction. We begin a new series on 15 psalms. I'm going to take one of these psalms uh, each Sunday over the next 15 weeks after today. And these psalms are known as the songs of the degrees. The songs of the degrees. They are Psalms 120 through 134. Uh, ten of the Psalms are anonymous, uh, four written by David, and one by Solomon. 
Each psalm is entitled a song of the degrees. Uh, in some of the English Bibles, you may have the word ascents, songs of the ascents, or some steps is translated there. Uh, now, Bible scholars have been very, very divided over what that expression actually means. What's being referred to when it designates them as the Psalms of the degrees? Uh, the most popular interpretations have been three that I have given you in your sermon notes. One is that these were songs that were sung by the exiles uh, returning from the Babylonian captivity. Uh, another uh, interpretation is that these were songs sung on the steps of the temple uh, in worship of God. And then the third, which is probably uh, the most popular position that most Bible teachers and scholars take, is that they were songs sung by God's people as they traveled to the three annual feasts in Jerusalem. Three times a year, all the Israelites would travel to Jerusalem for these feasts, and uh, this interpretation is that as they traveled to Jerusalem, uh, they would sing these uh, songs. Uh, now, all three of those, of course, could be possible. But it's my position, they really don't answer the question, well, what's the origin of the Psalms? And as I mentioned there in your notes, although they're interesting suggestions, uh, not one of them find any basis whatsoever in the Bible. Uh, and so the question I pose is, is there a plausible biblical answer to the origin of these psalms? And I believe yes. And this is the position that, uh, that I hold. Uh, and there are other Bible teachers that hold this position. Many of you are familiar with John Phillips, the Englishman. He was here at the church years ago. He holds this position. One of my favorite Bible teachers of all time, Sidlow Baxter, holds this position. And it is the position that I hold. So just look at that with me quickly in your notes. Three points. Number one, notice the use. And this isn't seen in your English Bibles, uh, but... Uh, I, it's the title that I've used in uh, my title because this is what you actually read in the Hebrew text. Notice the use of the definite article. It's not just a song of degrees or song of ascents or song of steps. It's a song of the degrees. So the definite article is used which would indicate certain and well-known degrees are being alluded to. So well known, no further explanation was needed by the writer. So this raises the question, well, what degrees? What's being referred to? And only one set of degrees is mentioned in all of the Bible. And it's those that are related to the sundial of King Ahaz, which was a large staircase built to keep time by the movement of the shadow cast by the sun uh, on the uh, steps of the staircase. And it was on this sundial that God caused the shadow to miraculously go back 10 degrees as a sign that he would heal King Hezekiah from a terminal illness, 
Not only would he heal Hezekiah, it was a sign that he would add 15 years to his life. It was a sign not only that he would heal Hezekiah, give him 15 more years, but that he would deliver the children of Israel, the nation of Judah, from the Assyrian invasion at this particular time in their history. So, I believe these songs relate to these two major crises that coincided around the same period of time. Hezekiah's illness, the invasion uh, by the uh, Assyrians. Uh, and this supernatural happening is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 1 through 11, and also in the book of Isaiah, chapter 38, verses 1 through 8, where the word degrees is given emphasis by, by being mentioned eight different times. And this miracle of the degrees, of course, was well known throughout all Israel. All Israelites would have been familiar with this uh, tremendous supernatural uh, story out of their history. So if, please take your Bibles, and uh, we don't have the time to uh, speak much on it. I just want to read the story for you, just so you'll see the story as it's recorded in the Bible. And I want you to turn to 2 Kings 20, because... Uh, this is the most detailed account uh, of this uh, miracle. Most detailed account. Look at Second uh, Kings, Second Kings, chapter twenty, and we'll read verses uh, one through eleven. It says, "In those days, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord." Hezekiah, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Some message, huh? Would you like to receive that? Hezekiah, get your house in order, because this is a terminal illness. You're going to die. You will not live. Verse 2, then he, Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall. And prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I walked before thee in truth with a whole heart, and have done what is good in thy sight. And in just a few moments, we'll see what he's referring to there. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it came about, before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return. And say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father, David, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, Take a cake of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Verse 8, Now Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What will be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 
Ten steps, that would better be translated degrees, steps or degrees or ascents. Shall it go forward ten steps or degrees or go back ten steps? And he's referring to that sundial of Ahaz as we're going to see. Verse 10, so Hezekiah answered, it is, an easy, it is easy for the shadow to decline ten steps. No, let the shadow turn backward ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet cried to the Lord and he brought the shadow on the stairway back 10 steps or 10 degrees by which it had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So there's the story of the miracle itself. And uh, six different times in the original text, right there, you find that word degrees. Uh, The only place in the entire Bible where it's found other than Isaiah 38 that also records this story where the degrees are mentioned on two different occasions. Now look at the second point in your sermon notes. Recovering from his illness, this is what Hezekiah says. This is in Isaiah 38, verse 20, that records this same story. This is what he says. The Lord will surely save me. So we will play, notice, my song. The Lord will save me. He will heal me. And we will play my songs on stringed instruments all the days of our life at the house of the Lord. Now, when Hezekiah, as you notice there in your notes, refers to my songs, he is likely referring to the songs of the degrees. Now, again, we can't say with absolute certainty, but I think this is the most plausible biblical solution to this issue, and it is the position that I take. And according to this position, Hezekiah Hezekiah compiled the 15 Psalms to correspond to what? The 15 years added to his life. And in this position, it's believed that Hezekiah wrote the 10 anonymous Psalms to correspond to the 10 degrees that the shadow went back on the sundial. There would have been no need for him to put his name on the psalms, he wrote, since he spoke of them as my songs, as though even then they were well known. Uh, Hezekiah selected the psalms written by David and Solomon because, as we're going to see as we go through this study, they fit into the plan of his arrangement of the psalms. And then look at the third point. The songs of the degrees, again, there are 15 are arranged in five groups of three psalms each. In each group, two are by Hezekiah, of course, if you take this position, and one by David or Solomon. In each trio, in each of the five trios, the first psalm speaks of trouble, the second, trust in God, and the third, triumph for God's deliverance. And this, of course, is where I got the title for this series of messages, celebrating triumph over trouble through trust in God. Now, completing, from my perspective, the evidence that the songs of the degrees, these 15 psalms, relate to Hezekiah, is the amazing correspondence between the content of the psalms and the historical account in Kings, Chronicles, and Isaiah of Hezekiah's miraculous healing and the deliverance of Jerusalem from the Assyrian invasion. And as we walk through this this story, we will mark those uh, similarities and the uh, connections. Now, 
the last thing I want to do today before we go into the Lord's Supper is just give you a, a little historical background to Hezekiah's reign. And uh, so just follow this in your sermon notes. This portion of the message will be up on the PowerPoint. But Hezekiah became king at the age of 25. He reigned as king for 29 years, and he became one of the greatest kings in all of Judah's history. Again, we're going to see why in just a moment. Uh, he, followed, he followed his father Ahaz, who was one of the most evil kings that ever reigned uh, over Judah. Uh, things were so bad at the beginning of Hezekiah's reign. This is how the prophet described Judah. This is the very beginning of Hezekiah's reign, just to give you a little glimpse into the condition of the nation. The prophet says, the godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. And I could give you many, many other passages from Isaiah and from the prophet Micah that describe the awful, terrible condition of the people uh, at that particular time. Now look at the next point in your notes. Uh, that took place at the very beginning of Hezekiah's reign as king. God's judgment is pronounced on Judah for their sin. In other words, at the very beginning of Hezekiah's reign, we're going to see the prophet Micah pronounces judgment on the nation. Look at Micah chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. And in a moment, you're going to see how we know with absolute certainty this is referring to the beginning of Hezekiah's reign. He says, Yet they lean on the Lord, saying, Is not the Lord in our midst? Calamity will not come upon us. Let me just stop right there. Isn't that an amazing statement? The children of Judah have become about as wicked, as about evil as you could imagine. They have forsaken God. They have embraced idols. Immorality and per per uh, perversion has just infected the nation. They even uh, have begun at this point sacrificing their children uh, to Baal. And despite this wicked, evil condition, they actually have the gall to say, oh, we're leaning on the Lord. He's in our midst, and, and, and certainly a calamity will never come upon us. But this is what Micah says. Therefore, on account of you, Zion will be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem will become a heap of ruins. And he's referring to the Assyrians. That judgment, when, he, when uh, uh, Micah spoke those words, that judgment had already been set into motion. The powerful Assyrian uh, Empire, which was the most powerful force on planet Earth at this particular time in history, had already been God's instrument to judge the northern king of Israel and took them away into captivity. And now the Assyrians have their eyes on the southern kingdom of Judah. And Micah says, they're coming and they're going to plow you like a field and, that, and you will become a heap of ruins. Now what happened next was one of the greatest turnarounds in all history. Not just biblical history, 
but all history with Hezekiah leading the way. Look at the next point in your notes. Judgment, that should be averted. An A, not an R. So judgment is averted or it's escaped through repentance and revival. God pronounces judgment. Syrians are coming. They're going to ruin you. They're going to leave you just in a pile of heaps. And you're going to be taken away just like this northern kingdom was into captivity. But they repent. And as a result of repentance and no revival. Look at Jeremiah 26. What an amazing statement. Verses 18 and 19. Micah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And he spoke to all the people of Judah saying, Thus the Lord of hosts has said, Zion will be plowed as a field and Jerusalem will become ruins. He's quoting Micah 3 that we just read, verses 11 and 12. And then it says, did he, referring to Hezekiah, did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And the Lord changed his mind about the misfortune which he pronounced against them. And then Hezekiah literally led the people in this incredible, miraculous uh, revival. And this is why later, when he becomes sick, as we saw a moment ago, and God says, you're, you're not going to live, you're going to die. He says, what? Remember me, O Lord, I beseech thee. Remember how I've walked with thee in truth, with all my heart, and everything that I, I've done, I've done for you, for your glory, for your honor. Now, what I thought would be very, very instructive, and I can do this in just a matter of minutes, especially with us about to observe the Lord's Supper, is to see the steps in this incredible revival. Uh, now, this would be several messages in itself, but I'm just going to quickly help you see there are basically seven steps that I, that I see in the pages of Scripture. And because, and the reason I share these, these are the same steps we must follow to experience revival. If this nation is going to escape God's judgment, folks, we're going to have to follow this same sequence to know revival. In your personal life, this is the way you return to God, to be revived in your walk with God. So follow in your notes, and uh, you can fill in the blanks as appropriate. First step, they became humbled by the consequences of their spiritual decline. They became humbled by the, in other words, God brought consequences, and those consequences broke them got their attention, especially Hezekiah's initially. Second Chronicles 28, verse 19, For the Lord humbled Judah because Ahaz, king of Israel, for he brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. Now listen, beloved, when you willfully sin, when you willfully sin as a child of God, you not only step out from under God's authority, but you remove yourself from God's protective covering. And yes, there is the pleasure of sin, but eventually those pleasures leave you and all you're left is the consequences of your sin. And what happens at that point? The world, your own selfish desires, the devil literally eats you up. And it's devastating. And that's why the scripture says the way of the transgressor is what? Hard, hard, very, very hard. 
So where does revival begin? It begins with becoming totally honest with God. That you and you alone are responsible for your spiritual decline. You can't blame anybody else. You have to look in a mirror and you have to assume that responsibility for yourself. That's where it begins. Second, they removed all uncleanness. They removed all uncleanness. Look at this magnificent verse in 2 Chronicles 29.5. Then he said to them, Hezekiah said to them, Listen to me, O Levites. He's speaking to the priest. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. Revival is conditioned upon repentance. And when I say repentance, I'm talking about becoming sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and confessing and forsaking all uncleanness, anything in your life that has grieved God, displeased God, and dishonored God. Only when the uncleanness is cleared out will God move back in. And it's not that if you're His child, He dwells in you. It's not that He's left, but your sin has prevented God from expressing his power in and through you. Look at the third step. They received assurance of forgiveness from sin through the blood sacrifice. They received assurance of forgiveness from sin through the blood sacrifice. Look at verses 23 and 24 from 2 Chronicles 29. Then they brought the male goats of the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them, indicating identifying with the sacrifice. Sins being transferred there. The priest slaughtered them and purged the altar with their blood to atone for all Israel. For the king ordered the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. In other words, through the Old Testament sacrificial system, they looked forward and placed their faith in the coming Messiah to forgive their sin as they confessed their sin and turned away from it. Today, we what? We look back. And we place our faith in the finished work of the Messiah. Through his death, through his burial and resurrection, we experience the assurance of salvation. It's all based on his grace, a gift that he gives us as we turn to him in total humility and dependence and desperation, realizing we cannot, just like we could not save ourselves, we cannot revive ourselves. We're totally dependent upon him as we cooperate with him uh, in the, the truths that he shares with us. Look at the fourth step. They became determined to do things God's way by obeying God's word. You know, sort of lights came on. They said, man, we're in the fix we're in because we disobeyed God's word. We need to get wise. We need to get smart. And they, they became determined. Okay, now we're going to start doing things God's way. We're going we're to go back to his word. We're going to follow his word. Look at verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 30. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded. What? By the word of the Lord. And beloved, obedience to the word of God is the trigger. It's the trigger for revival. It's the trigger for all spiritual growth because how you respond to God's word reveals your attitude toward God himself. And that's why Jesus said, why in the world do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? Look at the fifth step. Then they return to God as their first love. 
expressed in joyful worship. Folks, worship returned to the land. And it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Verse 21 of 2 Chronicles 30. The fruit of true, uh, it says, the sons of Israel celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days and with, notice, great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. Andy Johnston would love that. Andy loves loud worship because he wants us excited. He wants us enthused. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's coming from a heart that's truly directed at God to honor and to please Him. So the, the fruit of true revival is always what? To return to Jesus as your first love and finding your greatest joy in your relationship with Him. Turning away from those things that you clung on to for self-gratification. That, that creeped into your heart, that you began to value more than you valued your relationship with God. You turn away from all that, and now it's just the joy of your relationship with Him because there's nothing more important. And then number six, follow that. They destroyed every idol that would rival the rule of God. They destroyed every idol. Uh, verse 1 of Second Chronicles 31, Now when all this was finished... All Israel who were present went out to the cities, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, that's more idols, and pulled down the high places and the altars until they had destroyed them all. Bottom line, when Jesus is your first love, when he is your greatest joy, you suddenly become ruthless against anything that would threaten to come between you and God. And then the seventh and the final thing, and this really leads us to our song's of the degrees, they put their trust in God. When trouble came and experienced the triumph of deliverance for the glory of God, and it's this that is celebrated in the songs of the degrees. They put their trust in God when trouble came and they experienced the triumph of deliverance for the glory of God, and it's this that is celebrated, I believe, in the songs of the degrees. And again, we've already talked about Hezekiah's illness, but there also was the invasion. Look at 2 Chronicles 32.1. And I sort of, I find this verse very interesting. And after these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Don't you find that interesting? They've turned from God. They've known this great revival. They're knowing tremendous prosperity, God's blessing. And he says, but after these acts of faithfulness, not because of sin, but after these acts, here come the Assyrians. Wait a minute, God. What are you doing? God knows I can trust you now with trouble. Because I know in your trouble you're going to trust me. And your weakness is going to provide me an opportunity to demonstrate my power and glory that all the world might come to know me. That's exactly what's happening. Exactly what happened in his illness. Exactly what happened in relationship to the nation being delivered from the Assyrians. Then came trust in God. Look at 2 Chronicles 32, 7, 8. This is what Hezekiah said in view of that invasion. He turns to the people. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed because of the king of Assyria, nor because of all the horde that is with him. For the one with us is greater than the one with him. With him is only an arm of flesh, but with us the Lord our God, to help us and to fight our battles. And the people relied on the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Then came the triumph of deliverance. Look at chapter 32 of Second Chronicles, verse 22. So the Lord, what? Saved Hezekiah. 
Not only from that mortal illness, but from this invasion. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem, he he, uh, saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Israel, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. And do you remember how he delivered them? Israelites could have, they could have never militarily stood up against the Assyrians. But as they trusted God, remember God sent an angel into the camp of the Assyrians. And in one night, do you remember how many were killed? 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. And they retreated in defeat and in failure. And glory was brought to God. Because there was no other explanation for Hezekiah's healing or for the deliverance than what? God did it. Amen? Amen.